everyone, welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today we're going to have a brand new book guest on. Whether they're an author, an editor, a producer, you'll never quite know, so you're in for one hell of a ride. But today I just have to uh, do the adverts and then I'll get us straight into that most important conversation. And as as we do every week, um, I'm going to read The Shadow which is part of the Time Guardian series, and this is book four from Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won. The prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss. At odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping in shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge to fullify the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart, or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battles through the past and into an impossible future, darkness looks round every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Aiken, sorry, Rosemary Rowan, um, is being donated to the Ukraine refugee crisis. And here's the blurb for her book. It's uh, one of her... Roman British crime series, which was written under her maiden name. All editions can be found online where all books are sold, even her agents donating her commission. Sorry, I don't have the blurb for that, but uh, that's that's what she's doing. And now, without further ado, let's get you to the guests. Guys, I promised you the most amazing author to come on the show next, and I founder. Remember that Mills and Boone author that's part of Harley Quinn? Well, here she is, and I am delighted to bring in De- Decanta Favorite. I hope I pronounced that right. It's Danica. Um, Danica. That's okay. Okay. Yeah, that's I okay. I, I was close. You know, I um, growing up, because um, Danica Favorite is my real name, Uh, Growing up with that name, um, I used to hate it because no one could get it right. And now that I'm an adult and an author, I'm like, you know what? This is awesome because it's a great conversation piece. It is. It is a great conversation piece. I I had a pen name for a number of years, and mine was McCarrington. And, of course, I I kept Crystal and I kept McCarrington. Um, My people that can't say McCarrington or Crystal is blows my mind it did it just totally blows my mind so yeah i, I always find it interesting because i i always have to correct somebody at some point so yeah 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 it so it's it, it just you know i think that uh it when you learn to when you grow up like that you just kind of learn to roll with the punches because yeah um, and being an author you need a thick skin too like that that's what people don't realize is it's it's great to have these awesome names but it also gives you that kind of build up to being to having that thick skin 
that we all kind of require for this industry. Right, exactly. And now I can rightfully claim that I am legally your favorite author. So go out and buy all my books. (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's perfect. So tell us about this new book that you've, you've put out and how you got sort of involved with this publisher. Um, so with the publisher, um, and this is something we were talking about, uh, before the podcast started, um, I've been writing for Love Inspired for, I think, 10 years now. Wow. Um, no, it had to be longer. It's shorter than that. Um, okay. I can't math. It's too early in the morning for me, but, um, I actually was trying to get published for about 12 years. Yeah. Um, I know that feeling. And uh, then a, um, I had been trying and trying, and it was one of those, I actually had a really good relationship with the editors at Harlequin. Um, I actually worked for Harlequin. I was their online moderator for their message board and their online writing community. So um, I worked a lot in their marketing department and was helping promote their books. Um, I actually did all of the online marketing for Love Inspired. And so I was really frustrated because I know the product really, really well. Um, Like I was the person, like they would come to me and they'd be like, okay, what do we do here? How do we do this? And I'm like, this is how you do it. Um, Because I just, I knew Love Inspired super well. Uh, But for whatever reason, as an author, I couldn't get it to land. Um, In fact, I just had a discussion with my editor about whether or not I could include this element in this upcoming book. And she kind of replied back. She was like, yeah, we al- we've allowed that forever. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I knew that. <laughs> so um, yeah, it just yeah. goes to show that even when you know a ton, you don't know everything. And so um, I was really discouraged because I had a lot of really good books. They weren't landing. And uh, this was really, really early in self-publishing. So um, at that point, it wasn't a great option for me. And so I was like, okay, so what do I do? I really love Harlequin. Uh, you talked about how you grew up on Mills and Boone. I did the same thing. Uh, one of my earliest memories is I would visit my dad in the summer. My grandma would come and babysit us. And so grandma and I shared this double bed. And it was so hot because they had no air conditioning. And we would just lay up all, all night reading books. Yeah, and yeah. one night I ran out of my book and she handed me one of her Mills and Boone books. Still have it. It is still a beloved book. And uh, it was called Witch's Harvest by Sarah Craven. And they, I was hooked from then. So I was 12. Uh, so anyway, it was really important to me. I wanted to write for Harlequin. And I couldn't get it to land. And so finally, my editor said, you know, you should write a historical. You always talk about historicals. You love historicals. Write a historical. Sorry, my agent said this. And I was like, no, I don't want to write a historical. Um, I I didn't want to write the genre that I thought was fun for me. I didn't want to take away my vacation, basically. And so I really kind of did it as a, um, okay, fine. This is going to be an experiment. If it sells, great. I've sold a book. If it doesn't sell, you can never ask me to write a historical again. Of course. Well, guess what? That's my first book I sold. And I sold it to Love Inspired Historical. Yep, exactly. Uh, So I sold it to Love Inspired Historical. And uh, I wrote for them, I think, for eight books. 
and then they closed. And so my editor said to me, hey, come to Love Inspired. And I said, okay. And I said, what do you want me to write? And she said, honestly, we need someone to write cowboys. You can write what you want. Just put a cowboy hat on it. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what I did. Um, it, I started writing cowboys. You said that because when you were talking about not having any of your books land, I know that situation myself where I had a beautiful uh, romantic medical drama that was set in Glasgow, in the Glasgow hospital system. But it had a very much similar feel to Grey's Anatomy on it. You know, you've got this young female doctor, she falls in love with the guy that's teaching her, and the whole romance goes from there. And I hit so close with one editor, and then I rewrote it and I sent it back, and they said the power dynamic wasn't right and I totally lost it from there so like being so close to it and not hitting it I totally understand that feeling and it's the same with Love Inspired I have a beautiful cowboy story with called Ride With Ride With Me and it's about a girl who's, whose mom's got cancer she's trying to keep this farm going she's adopted these kids and then love of her life returns and uh, yeah they, they just wasn't something they were interested in and it sucks because I feel like it would be the perfect love-inspired story. So, yes, you have my total sympathy of coming so close and not landing it. I uh, totally get that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... It's interesting that you say that because I think that what I learned um, and what I'm still learning, I actually just took a class um, because what I'm actually going to do is some of those Love Inspired books that never sold, I'm going to edit them and put them up for sale as indie books. Um, but uh, what, what I realized is that um, For me, anyway, um, I really, again, started to develop, look into the marketability. And so I took a, I, I just finished this class. It was a great class on genre and tropes and really studying the tropes in the market. And uh, one, one of the things that I think we have to make a decision on, and this is particularly true if we're talking Love Inspired any of the Mills and Boone lines, anything like that, is they have a very specific niche market that they're trying to reach. Yeah. And if you don't hit those pieces of the niche market, it's not going to sell. Um, I have this fantastic story that is actually not done, um, but I'm going to work on finishing it at some point because I really do love this story. And I know it's not going to hit the love inspired market. I just know that because of some of the themes that I'm exploring, um, it's a little just not there. And that's okay. Um, I think that as writers, we have to make a decision. And that is, are we honoring the artistic side or are we honoring the commercial side? And that's or are we coming in the middle? Yeah. And the truth is, is that neither is the wrong answer, but when you come up with that answer, you have to adjust those expectations. Um, so like for me, there's a million love inspired ideas I have, 
but realistically, I know my editor has asked me to write cowboys. And yeah. so I will likely, you know, again, the idea of you can write whatever you want, as long as I can put a cowboy hat on him. Um, are, are, you know, like the book that I'm finishing right now, actually, um, the comment that the editor made, because it's, it's, it is a beautiful story. Um, for those who are reading the series, it is the last book in the Shepherd's Creek series. So I will try not to give away too much. Um, but uh, the heroine is Maddie. So for those of you who are reading the series, this is Maddie's book. And the hero is um, the grandson of one of her patients in the nursing home where she works. And so it's this beautiful, touching story of, obviously it's an adult grandson, just to be clear. <laughs> yes, yes, that's a good one to clarify, yes. Um, but um, one of the comments my editor made as, as she was approving the proposal, she says, you know, I love that this takes place at a nursing home, but remember, this is Shepherd's Creek, and we need to have, this, we need to have action happening around the horses. And so I said, okay. And so it's, it's just a matter of me then saying, okay, how do I make sure that I am making that theme work and yeah. making sure that I highlight that in my books? And, and I know that's what my readers go to. Uh, so um, could I artistically decide, I want to do this whole other, I could. But I know that now, you know, I'm at almost 20 books with Harlequin and they know that my books are going to have a cowboy in them. So um, part of that is understanding that's what readers expect. And that's yeah, okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. My readers always expect strong females from me. I think mm -hmm. that's kind of where people connect on my scores. The females are always strong. They're always pushing themselves. And sometimes that can be very intimidating for the guys that they're getting involved with. So I've learned that even though my readers expect it, not every publishing company is going to, you know, get behind that because it's very difficult to have a very fiery, strong female uh, running the romance kind of story. Um, so I, I feel lucky. You have to feel lucky to know your readers, but I also think you need to have the ability to stick with your story and say, okay, maybe this story isn't for them but I want to tell the story the way that it should be told and have trust that you'll find somebody that'll believe in it as much as you. Yes, I, I agree with that. And, and that's why um, I, I, I haven't necessarily, I, I've said this in author groups. Um, I haven't yeah. really announced this to my readers uh, for a reason that will be obvious in about five minutes. But I actually am going to be writing some other things under a pen name. Wow. And um, I had a very long discussion with my agent about it. And part of it is that there are things I would like to write that don't fit with my readers' expectations. And that's okay. Um, and, like, I, for me, it's a conscious choice to say, I'm going to write under a pen name that my readers aren't going to know about. Like, they could know I'm writing something else under a pen name but they're not going to know that pen name or what else I'm writing because I know that it's not going to meet their expectations. And so they're going to pick up one of those books and be like, Oh my goodness, what is she? Ah! And that's, yeah. and that's so like, so that I'm not polluting that other name or this name, I'll, I'll be writing the other 
weird stuff under uh, the pen name. And that's okay. Like I'm, I, that's a decision that I made. And I think that that's something that we all make those decisions and we have to make those decisions as writers. And for me, like I, I got married, so I wanted to just go with my maiden, you know, with this name now. And for me, I have McCarrington for romance. I'm going to have a different one for when I do my crime because I'm prolific. I can't stay in one genre. I never have been able to. And I, I have a huge respect for authors who can. So for, for me, I totally get that. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your book that you've just released and Maddie's story? Um, yeah, so this one is actually um, Laura's story. Of, it's called The Bronc Rider Twins. Yep. It, is the Shep- it is the second book in the Shepherd's Creek series. And so, um, first of all, I should say it is the second book. However, you can read it as a standalone. Yes. You don't need to read the first book, although I recommend it because um, it's a great book. Uh, but the first book is called Journey to Forgiveness. And then this one, the second book, is The Bronc Riders Twins. And um, basically, Shepherd's Creek is a stables where um, these four different women grew up and impacted them in different ways and so um and in some ways it was a very it was a positive but a very negative experience Um, there was a lot of pain a lot of hurt and so it really is about them healing that past and finding a way to heal those wounds and so the first book is the start of that journey where the family patriarch dies um he, he 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 like the book starts he's he's already dead it's his funeral um, and the, the prodigal daughter comes home. And so the first book is about the prodigal daughter coming home. Uh, that's Josie Shepard. And so she has to go through that journey of that homecoming and finding healing from her past. So this book is the second book of the Bronx Riders Twins. Uh, this is Josie's cousin, Laura. And Laura was raised as um, Josie's sister almost because they were both raised by um, Laura's older sister. Um, And so because they were raised by this older sister, uh, they all ended, they all kind of end up growing up together and in this weird environment. And so Laura's decision is that when she grew up, she got married and went away from home. Um, the family patriarch did not approve of this decision and all, all, all bad things are going to come of this kind of attitude when he, when she did that. Cause she married a rodeo cowboy. She married a bronc rider. Yeah. Of course. Um, and so where the story begins, um, basically I'll just read you the back cover. Convinced he caused his best friend's death, rodeo cowboy Wyatt Nelson will do whatever it takes to look after widow Laura Fisher and her infant twins even propose to her. A marriage of convenience is the perfect solution to keep custody from Laura's overbearing in-laws. But as Wyatt begins to fall for the little family, will he let guilt get in the way of his heart? And so for Laura, um, you know, the back cover is all about Wyatt. And it's interesting because for me, the stories are about the heroines. This is kind of about Laura. Although, honestly, this really, as I wrote it, it really is Wyatt's story as well. Um, because he really has to go Sometimes through a lot of growth. Sometimes the guys just take the spotlight. You, you can't help it, but the guys just snatch it. 
Beautiful. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and, but you know, Laura in, in this book realizes that actually the patriarch was kind of right. Like what she thought was the perfect marriage, the perfect family. When her husband dies unexpectedly, she finds out it was all a lie. Um, not all lie. He loved her, but he was doing some stuff behind the scenes that wasn't great. And so, uh, he leaves her destitute and she has no choice, but to go back home to Shepherd's Creek where she's got family to support her and Wyatt comes in to help her, uh, yeah. in the form of a marriage of convenience so that she can survive. It really is her needing to survive. And, um, so it really is just about her finding her way again after everything she's known has um, kind of fallen apart. And those are the best stories because it, it's it's almost like redemption of love, but you're also seeing a rebuild and it's very good for folk that have maybe gone through that where they've lost a loved one and they're trying to figure out, well, how do I rebuild from this? How do I re-put my life and the pieces back together? Especially if it's not being a situation where the guy is a good guy. I, you know, he's a good guy for most of the time, but he does things that's maybe not so good. And it, that kind of gives us the flaw of what everyday people are like. Not everyone's 100% good, not everyone's 100% bad. And I think that's really cool that you're capturing that and you're sort of building upon that. Yeah, yeah, and really, like, I think that um, it, it really is kind of all of these mixed emotions, and for her to say, okay, I loved this man, but what did he just do to me? And, like, and, and to really have to process that grief, and the hero, Wyatt, is going through something very similar, where it's like, this is my best friend, and I loved him, and he did this horrible thing, but also I think I'm the one responsible for his death. So am I really the good guy here? I, you know, like he feels like he's the bad guy. And so everyone's saying, Wyatt, you're doing this wonderful thing by taking care of Laura and the boys. And he's being eaten up with this tremendous guilt of, yeah, but if it wasn't for me, they would still have their father. Um, yeah, and it's it's quite, it's quite a... A heck of a balancing act as well, especially considering the genre that you're in and the company that you've chosen. It's it's going to be interesting, particularly for me, to be able to read it and see how you've gone about getting that, that balance. So what inspired you to write this one? What was your, your aha moment for this one? So um, the funny thing is, um, and my daughter just was giving me a hard time about it the other day is so both of my daughters have been very involved in the horseback riding world. Um, we ride Western. So, um, I know for you, Crystal, you'll probably, uh, it, it's different from the riding you see there, but yeah, British standard uh, saddles compared to Western saddles is hugely different. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, um, have been doing this since they were very young. Um, my youngest is now 18. And so we've been in this horse world for a very long time. And one of the things that my daughters have done as they've gotten more proficient is they perform at rodeos. Wow. And so um, 
literally this whole series is featured and featuring a piece of what my kids have done in their horseback riding stuff. Um, and so the Bronco over terminology and all that kind of stuff as well, because they know it so intimately. They'll be like, Oh mom, that's not how you say that. Or that, you know, that's not how it goes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, actually every horse part in every single one of my books, um, what, at least one of my kids has read it and approved it. Oh, cool. That'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, definitely, I will say the horse stuff is right in all of my books. You, you get 100% bank on that. Yeah. No, I, I get Yeah, that. bank on that. And so, anyway, the Bronx Riders Twins, um, my daughters have ridden, um, this year was the last year for my youngest. It's called the National Western Stock Show. Okay. It yeah, is I've heard a of it. really big deal in this part of the country. Um, it's a whole two, three week long event where all of the agricultural people come together. But part of that is a big rodeo series. And my daughter and my older daughter, when she was in the program, their team performs at every single rodeo. Wow. And there are two to three rodeos a day. Ooh, and really they're kind of the cool. halftime act, so to speak. Yeah. And so I watched a lot of rodeos, a lot of rodeos. And then in the summer, they would travel with their teams and they would also perform at rodeos in the summer. Uh, But anyway, I was sitting at the National Western Stock Show and the announcer there, he is great. They have the same announcer. He's been there for years and he knows all the stories of these cowboys. And so as they're getting ready to do each thing, um, announcer would tell a story about something he knew about the Cowboys. And it was just really cool to hear this guy talking about them. Yeah. And the idea that um, the different Cowboys were friends. And, you know, you see them up there competing against each other. But behind the scenes, they're a big family. And they're they're all good friends. And so there'd be times where he would say... And this cowboy is going against blah, 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 cowboy. And, you know, he wants to win, but he can't want to win too much because that's his traveling buddy. And that's going to be a tough ride home. And, yep. and, and, and so he would just talk about that family and community. And so I really decided I wanted to ride a bronc rider because um, I loved yeah. that sense yeah. of community and camaraderie. And it was, it's definitely something that I saw watching my daughters go through their program. My stepdad is a team roper, which is a different rodeo event. And so I grew up with that too. And um, so I really wanted to... Yeah, yeah. So I really wanted to have that sense of, like there's this whole range of family in this book. There's the rodeo family. There's her immediate family of her and Wyatt and the twin babies. But then there's that extended family of Shepherd's Creek that comes around to support her. And so it's all these layers of family. And uh, I was really excited to write it about that. It's funny you say that because in the British writing world, it's, it's very much the same. When I, I competed from eight till I was 17 
it was like we would go to the Grand National, which is our version of, of your rodeo. And, you know, one of the, the, what they call entertainment portions was when we would race Shetland ponies around these jumps. And, of course, it was very dangerous because Shetland ponies don't actually like to jump, but they go like the clappers. Um, and we, we were all kind of dead dead close as a family. We would travel in groups of 12, usually. Um, and yeah, the announcer would do the same thing. It'd be like, oh, this is Crystal from the Shetland Islands, and she's going to take home the best of show this year. We know she is. She's such a strong fight. Like, they, they would always beef us up just before we were coming in. And I, I also think they were giving the odds of who they thought would win, too, because... There was always some betting going on, I would say, especially with the uh, the children that was in those shows. Um, so yeah, I understand that, and and still to this day, I'm well connected in with the the riding people I knew, um, and I'm fully certificated. So I did all my exams, my horse riding exams, right up to dressage. I did dressage. I I ride side saddle. I ride western. I ride British standard. You know, it's the kind of thing where you're get you kind of forced to learn it all. Um, not so good at jumping, terrified of jumping, but yeah, give me dressage any day of the week. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I, so my my youngest uh, is proficient at everything as well, um, except dressage. Uh, she actually hates it. She's like, this is so boring, because she is my um, daredevil. She's an uh... adrenaline junkie, so she does trick riding. Yeah, that's um, not easy. Yeah, I give her. And I give so her props the first book, the first book features trick riding, and the last book also features trick riding. And uh, she is she's my daredevil. Um, I actually have people who are like, "You said you were never going to let her trick ride," and I said, "No, I had no choice uh, because yeah, you never she would do just her choice when it comes to kids. Never. Well, she'd behind my back and do it, and so I finally agreed to let her sign up to learn trick riding because. I wanted her to learn how to do it safely with instruction as opposed to her going off, you know, our yard. We have, um, we live in the mountains. And so she could take one of our horses in the yard and work with it. And she's going to land on a rock and kill herself. So I was like, okay, fine. Go learn how to do it safely. And now she's an incredible trick rider. She's graduated from the riding program she was in. And she just recently tried out for a new trick riding performance team. Um, and so she will be traveling with them this summer and performing at other rodeos. Um, See, I know how big that is because uh, one of the shows that I went to, I had the chance to ride with an internationally uh, award-winning dressage rider. And I learned very quickly that I can't keep my eyes open when I jump, which is really important when you because you need to know where you're landing, right? Simple mm-hmm. as that. You need to know where you're landing. And I couldn't do it. Um, so, you know, and I have that daredevil streak in me too, but I liked the precision of dressage. You really mm-hmm. have to have timing and patience, but you also need to really be able to read your animal. And either your horse is trained for dressage or it's not. You know, you can't, Wait. Make, you can't make any horse do it, unfortunately. Um, and my favorite sort of type of horse to work on was Icelandics because they have such a beautiful gait. And when you see yeah. them doing dressage, they're, they're just, they're out of this world stunning. Yes. Um, Icelandics are beautiful. They're beautiful. Yeah. I was lucky enough. I sat all my exams on an Icelandic 
Um, and he was awful because he was a bit of a he got bored too. So he's a bit like your daughter. He would get bored, but he was a he was one of these sort of ones that was really good at dressage as long as you could keep his attention going. And he used to jump cones. So we would be doing a full circuit, and then all of a sudden he would jump a jump a cone going around the corner. And I had to get really good at learning to, to go up in the air with him and come back down and stay in my seat because I never knew when he was going to do that. And I eventually got him to pass, like we passed all my dressage exams and uh, I came really close to going for the Paralympics with him. And I'm just kind of sad I broke my jaw and I, <laughs> I couldn't go ahead and do it. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have Mustangs. Um, so they are, and, and, and I'm very proud of this. I'm very proud of my girls because, um, the proud. one Mustang that my daughter uses for, um, trick, actually her trick horse, we got him, he was halter broke. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. And so she did, well, she, both my girls did all of the training on him. Um, we worked with a trainer for a little bit, but our trainer's method was, I'm going to teach you how to do this thing, spend a month working on it, and then let's come back and see. And so yeah. when we first got Stunner, he had never, ever been under saddle even. Mm -hmm. um, and then our other two Mustangs, um, Jasper and Simba, they were saddle broke, but barely. Yeah. So again, my girls really had to work with the horses to make it so that they were rideable. And now you see them doing these incredible things. And a lot of people, when they're riding their horses, um, they've bought them already trained. Yeah. I, I and my kids started from square one. Yeah. Like, yeah. Even like when I started with Fiedler, I went in and I spent at least an hour before we ever did anything together and I let him sniff me, I got him circling, I got him to what's known as, as hook up so that we built a bond of trust between each other. The only problem with Fiedler was he, because I, I weigh so little, he would actually forget I was there on his back. Oh, uh-huh. That was, that, was, <laughs> that was when the problem started, was when he forgot that I was there. You know? Yeah. Um, and then I'd, I'd have to kind of remind him, hey, you've got a passenger kind of thing. Uh, and then he'd sort of look back and go, oh, you're still here. Okay. Yeah, and, and yeah. The reason they gave me him was he had um, damage to his hips. So he had tightened uh, problems with the muscles in his hips, his back quarters. And uh, they needed somebody that didn't weigh much to work with him to loosen him up and get him going. Because he was actually a stud horse. So before I started with him, he was he was really more used to being out in the field, having fun and doing all the things he liked to do. So um, it became interesting when I was in the bar working with him and there was a female nearby. I had to really be on my game. Otherwise, I was uh, I was looking at a trip over the uh, the barrier <laughs> into the into the stall area. And I really wasn't for that. So, yeah, and I broke um I was involved with breaking one of the cults, one of the Icelandic cults, uh, that was Fiedler's son, and he he was a test and a half. And Icelandic is not easy to break, and a Mustang's a lot harder. So, your girls definitely have my full full respect on that one. Yeah, yeah. They like I said, like, and so really, um, when when you read the horse stuff in all of my books, 
some aspect of that horse world with them is part of that book. And um, the the other day, she, my daughter was giving me a hard time because she was like, Mom, all you do is write about me. And I'm like, okay, that's not true. But she's like, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have any books. <laughs> I so kind like, okay, you can do that. To say that. To be honest, yeah, no, the yeah. inspiration to be a rider must admit. Um, I, I, I really miss the horse world, even to this day. Like, I, I will, I'm still involved with my instructor and stuff, and she sends me videos all the time. Um, you know, and she always jokes one day when I do get a place with a bit more ground to it, she might just drop off a cult. Uh, you know, and that'll be my gift from her. And I keep saying, no, thank you. <laughs> That's a lot of work. So what was the best moment for you when it came to writing this? I think for me, the best moment is always finishing the book. <laughs> I'm the same. Um, I'm so glad you said that because so many authors come up with this fantastic answer. And I'm like, no, you don't realize how much of a struggle it is to get to that last page and write end you know or the end for now it's 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 a journey it's hard work it is it's really hard and and to be honest like um I really do kind of immerse myself emotionally with the characters and so it's just as emotionally exhausting as it is for the characters it is for me too and so for me like the best moment is okay it's done I can relax now (laughs) I've handed it in. The editor's job kicks in, and I can take a break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I think I definitely feel like that because when I took on my prolific contract, I just didn't realize like what I was getting myself into. Um, mm-hmm. I average between one book to three books a month now for the next three years, and that to me just I was like, wait, what? <laughs> this is this is nuts. But it is good because it's kind of making me get out of my own head and say, right, these characters need an ending to their story, so I need to kind of dedicate myself and actually actually write the end. What was the hardest part for you to write? Um, I think for me, the hardest part, as I was reading, working on this book, is that I really was trying to balance... There was so much happening in the story, and um, I was really trying to balance. I'm trying to think of how to put this without giving too way, way too much of the book. So, um, but some the bad things that were happening to the um, the people. Um, the hard moments, yeah. Right. Um, so the villains, and I guess I can say this, um, the, um, the in-laws who were trying to take custody of the kids, um, I knew legally that actually the, the, the in-laws were fighting an uphill battle. And so it was really hard to balance. Okay. Legally, they don't have a leg to stand on. And so, um, yet making that a real threat, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's not easy. It's, it's, I yeah. it takes a lot to be able to do that. Be, and here's the thing, like, I think that even though we can say, like, looking at that, and I know this, um, 
I know a ton about grandparents' rights in our state because um, one of my good friends was kind of on the opposite side of this. Actually, she still is, where um, she's the grandparent and she's yeah. fighting for legal right to her granddaughter um, of course. because her uh, of reasons but that are, are valid reasons why she needs to have custody of this child. But so I, I know what the legalities are from kind of the opposite view. And so what, taking that and making this person who's being completely unreasonable and, and making, the, making that a valid threat. Um, it was yeah. just really interesting navigating the legality of it and the reality of, and, and I think we go through this, right? Like, you know, um, you get that email in your inbox of, I'm going to sue you, and if you don't respond, I'm going to take over your hard drive. Like, we know that's not going to happen, but it's yeah. still scary. Yeah. And so to really balance that rational versus irrational fear. Yeah, and I, I mean, over here, I know a lot about grandparent rights in Scotland, and it's weird because they've actually strengthened grandparents' rights because of a lot of this sort of hard cases that's been going on over here. So, you know, I would consider it reading it from a Scottish perspective, I would read it as a real threat because of mm -hmm. what, you know, what I know here. So it's good to see that that's something that you're actually using in your books um, because it can tie, it's not just tying America, it's, it's also tying what Scottish people are dealing with as well. What did you do to get into, you know, to get into the head or into the space of the character when you had to write those really dark moments? Was there like, a, did you have a routine or a ritual for that? So I, I actually don't. Um, you know, when I when I saw your question ahead of time, I was like, wow, what do I do? And I really had to think about it. And um, I, I just, I think that I just go there and... I, I can't really explain it because there isn't a process. It's just, okay, this is what I'm trying to do, so I'm going to do it. I like that because, you know, some people say, well, I, I light candles and I, I fix the mood. And I think whatever works for you works for you. And, and all of us writers kind of have to go on that journey of what works for us. Uh, might not always work for other people and I, I think it's a good question to remind the new writers out there that there's far more to this world of writing than just sitting down and writing a book and I think this right. show is a great way of just kind of reminding the new ones that are starting that it, it is a long road and you know just, right, just right. ready to travel it and find your own path and your own niche and and what makes you happy? Right. And, and it's funny that you say that because that's something that I'm really passionate about. I'm actually working on a nonfiction book and a coaching program for authors yeah. um, about finding their own path. And that idea of mindset and mindfulness in approaching your writing. Because um, I, I keep having these conversations with people all the time. And so I love that you brought that up as well because... I think it's something a lot of writers struggle with. I think that we go through, we take these writing classes or we're online and we even hear writers talking on podcasts or whatever. And we think we have to do it a certain way. Yeah. And the reality is, is there is no certain way. Um, if, if you want to do an Amazon ad, yeah. You know what? There is a certain way to do an Amazon ad. 
if you want to write for Harlequin, there is a certain way. Yes, there but is, yeah. being a writer in general and following your path as an author, there is no certain way. And for some, that is very freeing because we have been told for so long there is a certain way. But I think for others, hopefully, like for others, that can also be daunting because there is no certain way. Yeah. Um, because they want that step-by-step instruction manual of what to do and how to do it. And I'm definitely one of those people. Like sometimes I really do need, give me the steps and I will follow the steps. And then to be told there are no steps is really scary. And so it's this balance of being able to understand there is no certain way and that's okay. And you're going to get out of this alive. Yeah. And I, I think for, for my perspective is I've done the creative writing course in university and they do drill home. There's only one way to do this and there's only one way to go. But, and it's awful because I've been in the publishing industry and I know that the second you step out of uni and you go into this industry, nothing you've learned in uni prepares you for what you're going into. And I had to say that to people that were in my tutor groups and everything else. It's not simple. You have to find your own way. And there is no golden rule. Well, there is golden rules, but there's no, there's no handbook to it because everybody's experiences is different. I mean, I never thought I would be doing a prolific contract at 34 years old. I never thought for a second I would write with a wrestler and have a successful series. None of that ever entered my mind. So you never know where the road's going to take you or what books are going to take off or what books are going to, you know, get you into that zone of, yes, I can do this until you've actually attempted it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that is where we just have to work on just that acceptance and understanding that journey and realizing that it is a journey. And, you know, it's like, I I know in Scotland, you guys have some really great little mountains to climb. Um, actually, uh, shoot. Now I forgot what you call them. Um, we've got Ben Nevis is one of the most popular. Yes. Yes. There we go. Um, I went, I went to Scotland a few years ago and, uh, okay. I, it was the, the, like some really great hiking there. And where I live in Colorado, we also have some really great hiking. And uh, it, it's kind of that same thing where, um, you know, you, you, you go up and you go down. Yep. And then you go straight for a while and then you go up and you go down. And like getting to that peak. Really yeah. Yeah. It's this journey, and I think you just have to be good with that and accept that, okay, this is what we're doing, and it's okay. And it's the same with sailing, because, you know, you can go out there and it looks flat calm, and then two seconds later, you're in the middle of a huge storm, and you're trying to decide, do I go for a safe harbor, or do I just gun it and hope for the best? It's, you know, it's life, and and we use a lot of sailing metaphors here, because that that is what, you know, we've all experienced here. And unfortunately, you have to be able to navigate the waves and know where you're going. So what books have you read most recently that stuck with you the most? 
So I'm going to be honest. Like, I really, again, this is one of the questions that you sent me um, that I was like, uh, I don't know. Um, I typically don't read other books when I'm writing a book. Oh, okay. So you're a bit like me then. Yeah. And, and I'm on deadline right now. Uh, like I said, I've, I've got a book due in 10 days. Um, yeah. And so I really, I, because for me, it's, it's like keeping that distraction out of my head. Um, and so I don't typically read other books. Um, what I am reading is I'm reading a lot of books on mindfulness and mindset. And so reading, so that counts for the question. So, um, I am right now reading, um, a book by Denise Duffield Thomas. Wait, is that Denise Duffield Thomas? I, I don't think the last part is right. Um, and the book is in the other room. Uh, but anyway, um, actually now... You're studying mindfulness so that you don't get burnout. Right. Well, so she is all about... Um, it is Denise Duffield Thomas. Um, so actually, it, it is her book isn't about mindfulness. Her book is actually um, about manifestation and money and your money mindset. Yeah. And so I'm reading her book. Um, I'm also reading... Um, uh, so, uh, Peace in Every Step by Thich Nhat Hanh, which is a mindfulness book. Um, and so I'm kind of going back and forth between those two. Um, and I'm also doing a Bible study. Um, and I don't remember the name of it. Um, in, in the I, I think we, when we're all doing Bible study, we're in the same boat. We're like, we kind of remember what we were studying, but not the name. Right, of it, right. You know? And so, so I'm kind of doing like, it's really weird. There, there are three pieces that sound like they're very different, but yeah. I keep coming to the same conclusion reading them. So I'm like, yeah, Yay. No, I, I think we're all in the same boat for that. Cause like for me, I, I have to read for the dyslexia cause I'm dyslexic. Um, so when I started this podcast, of course I started it in the middle of university, which is never a great idea. And the publisher started sending me these books and I've been so lucky to have been given so many great ones. I just did a review for uh, In a New York Minute by Kate Spencer, which is an amazing, I would say it'll be the top five summer reads for anybody that's going to get time to sit back and relax and take care of themselves. And, you know, I've, I've gotten a great opportunity. I'll be reading yours very shortly and I'm reading Switchboard Soldiers. Um, that one is incredible, set in the World War Two era when they were actually sending women across the ocean to do the switchboards, and uh, oh, they nice. were the first first military women to be to be used. And it's an amazing, really, really detailed, well thought out novel. Um, I can't recommend it enough. And the other great one that's just come out was The Elopement by Tracy Rees, and that one is about. British aristocracy and uh, this last runs away with a painter and nothing goes to plan with that one um, but it it was super fast you know it's the kind that you sit down in five minutes you're like oh crap I just finished it you know where, where did the time go um, so those are my three big recommendations uh, for people this month yeah, it's always good to share recommendations, I think, because it helps us all expand upon, you know, what what we what we do as writers. And I think it's good to lift each other up and, and keep each other going. 
Have you had a character that stuck with you, like, the longest, that stayed around, that hasn't quite gone away? don't necessarily have a character that has stayed with me the longest, um, mostly because for me, when I finish a book, I consider it done. And so, like, I'm just like, okay, character's done, I'm done, moving on to the next one. And I think part of that is just, I have so many deadlines back to back Yeah, that it's it's hard for me to stay in that space because I have to move to the next space. Yeah, whereas for me, because I'm writing a 32-book series, none of these characters want to go away and give me time to finish plotting other stuff, because they're right there, and they're very determined to uh, to annoy me, to say the least. Is there right, a character right. that you've maybe written that you kind of wish you could have written more about, maybe like a side character or, or ones along that line? So I think for me, it's more um, the books and characters that I haven't finished. Um, I do have, uh, you know, again, 12 years to get published. I have a lot of those books that are just sitting on my hard drive that aren't finished. And so um, sometimes I do think about them and I think about that character and think, hmm, I'd really love to explore this character's story at some point and finish yeah. that story. Um, so I think it's it's more of those that their story is unfinished, um, but the books I finished their story as far as I'm concerned are finished. So yeah, um, I, I just I was... assume that the and they lived happily ever after. They are indeed living happily ever after. Exactly. I mean, I must admit when when I kind of come to releasing Ride with Me, I I will love to send that to you just because it is a bit of a different cowboy series um it's a it's a duology basically and uh it really i think it i think it's something you might enjoy just with the fact it's it's sort of like a very much take on a woman who's got absolutely everything to lose and she's got a heck of a bad decision to make and the, how that how that brings out her own love story and how it forces her to look at that so I, yeah, I think I would be honored to send that to you when it's, uh, oh, when okay. it's getting well, there. Oh, okay. Thank you. That's nice of you. Yeah. It's, sometimes it's nice to have fellow like horsey people that you can be like, hey, I wrote this horsey book. I know like a lot of my, my friends aren't going to read it, so it'd be nice to hear from somebody else who's a horsey person what they think. So, And I think that's great if you know authors can share with each other. Um, it, it makes us feel less alone in an industry where you do actually spend most of your time alone so yeah 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 for sure so going into your life what's the first thing you do when you want to de-stress from writing and editing and, and deadlines so I actually um have an incredible bathtub um I'm a bath person I love baths Same. and so when I'm we built this house heart. I actually designed this bathroom myself sort of my husband designed part of it yeah but um my non-negotiable was my bathtub yep i searched high and low for this beautiful giant bathtub 
and it sits in front of a window um, that is high up enough and we live very rural so no one could see my windows anyway and I just sit in my tub with lots of lovely bath things and I look out the window and it's it's delightful. See, I love that too, because I love to get a good bubble bath going, really nude book, nice big hot cup of something. You know, if it's in the winter, I have mulled wines and apple ciders and stuff like that. And then during the summer is usually coffee because I can't stay awake. And I just love that. Like, I always say that to Ian. I'm like, my dream part of the house will always be either a library or or my bathroom. Um, so, Yeah. But I think he's getting sick and tired of building me bookcases now. <laughs> well, you know, I actually am going through a weird phase in my life. I, I wouldn't say weird phase. It's just the next phase of my life because yeah. all my phases are weird. Um, but I'm actually getting rid of books. Um, oh, I'm wow. still trying to figure out the best way to do it. Yeah. But um, I really kind of had this moment where I was just like, have all the stuff and I don't need it. Yeah. And so I want to let go of the stuff in my life. And so I, I just decided that uh, some of the stuff I need to let go of are books. Oh, wow. I see. I, I don't think I could part with my, um, I, I, like my I, children. I've always been that way. Exactly. Like what you said. And, uh, I just kind of had this moment of, um, I don't even know what, where I just felt like, okay, it's, it's time to let go of some of the stuff and allow people who would also enjoy it, the opportunity yeah. to enjoy it. And it's, it's funny you talk about the right way to get rid of the, you know, books is, is something I wrestled with and I used to donate to charity shops. But one of the things that I do is that my mother-in-law, she stays in a, a beautiful area and she shares books she has like her own unofficial book club and the women will go around to her house and they'll be like, Oh, it's crystal drop books off. And they will literally go through her, her bag of whatever I've brought her. And then they share them and it makes it around the entire place at least twice. And then she drops them off at the charity shop. If there's none that they want to keep. And since I've done that, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm spreading that author's, you know, mm -hmm impact and envision and stuff but i have a lot of signed books that i i don't think i could ever ever part with you know friends that have given me signed books and stuff like that um so yeah, yeah i think, I, I think definitely the signed books and the friend books i those aren't on list to be cut by any no. means those are the hardest uh, yeah like i have so many of them like i have i had a friend who passed away a few years back and I was lucky enough to get a, to do her first Glasgow signing. And I was there. And I now can't part with any of her stuff. And to know, like, she left so many stories untold and unwritten. Her friend is now kind of finishing them for her. And, and those, to me, are special because I knew her. And, and I just don't want to let that go. So I have quite a few. But my... My little sister comes and she she always wants to know what I've got in my shells and has a nosy about it and then wanders off with something. I am, um, and I usually wonder where it's gone about two weeks later when I go to read it. And I'm like, where's that book? Yeah, yeah. I I have a shelf um actually right here that I'm looking at of 
um, books by a friend who passed away. And uh, I probably will hang on to those for a little bit longer. Uh, But I I think those are the special ones because it's, it's the people that you're friends with. And you know, they're, they're colleagues, they're family and you kind of keep them close. And I think that's, that's the important thing is to can make those memories and you know if you can pick that book up and you can go back to time when you had a conversation with that person or you were assigning with that person those are the sort of memories that you you kind of want to keep around i think or at least that's, right. that's just my personal opinion yeah yeah I, I i definitely agree with that and you know but then there's also a part of me that says well but maybe those are the ones that i do want to um share let go of um because I do think that um, I'm like, you know, I, I wish, um, I, I guess, I, I don't know if this is how you feel about the people who have passed, but there, there's this feeling of they were gone too soon. Yeah. And so part of me is like, I really would like to um, see their name continue. Yeah, and, and I want to share that um, love, I guess, of um, that, Them, that author work. and what that yeah. author did. I want to be able to share her words with other people so that um, she still lives on. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And I, 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 what I actually do is I buy new copies of that book and give it to my friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's kind I, of like a little bit of both. Yeah. So I, I, what I do is she's, my friend got a library uh, she bought a new house. She got her first house. And uh, so for Christmas, I gave her a library of the best books that I'd read in the past 10 years. So she's, she's now got this like whole part of her shelves are now full of books, uh, which I've given to her. And she's like, don't buy me anymore for like two years. So I could get through them. But yeah, um, I, it spreads the love at least, and and right and that way I know that I'm both keeping her close to me, but I'm also spreading spreading that love. Exactly, so, exactly. So I myself have a long term illness that makes me slow down and appreciate the day. What what would make you slow down and smell the roses and just say, "Yeah, this is a good day." Honestly, it's something I try to do every day. Again, like going back to the whole mindfulness, mindfulness and mindset yep. author stuff. Is, is that I think that we don't do enough of that in our world. And so it's something that I try to do as a more regular practice. And I don't do it well, but that's why it's called a practice. Yeah. Um, See, my condition is like there all the time. So I don't, <laughs> I don't get a choice. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, one day I can go and I can walk as much as I want. Next day, nope, I can't get out of bed. And I, I just have to roll with the punches. But it's good to see that there is that kind of mindfulness spreading through author communities now. Because I know so many that have burned out. You know, I burnt out before the pandemic even started. In fact, it was like a month before the pandemic started. I said, right, I, I, I'm going to go do something else. You know, Because um, the rejection, it does. It gets to you. After a long time, it gets to you. And you, you start really doubting yourself. And... I walked away and and then I, I wrote something during the pandemic and that got me back in. And 
I think, right, and you don't ever really walk away from there's too many stories in all of our heads for us to ever truly be gone. But yeah, it's I think it's super important. And I think it's something that editors should be taking really seriously because I know so many of them, they get burnt out, they can't keep up with the demand or they can't keep up with production companies' demands. And, and it's hard on them. And so, you know, I have a great respect for literacy agents and a great respect for editors. Yeah, and I think that that's really the whole point of being mindful and having the right mindset about what you're doing and why, um, because it is easy to get discouraged. Um, and I think that when you put your value in that idea of getting that contract, if you don't get that contract, then you don't have value. And that's a faulty way of thinking. Yeah. But that's often how we do it. And so to be able to say, okay, what do I value? What is important to me? And why is it important to me? And really focusing on those things. And um, I think we all, maybe not every single human being, but a lot of us going through the pandemic had those moments where um, it was hard to get out of bed and not not even for the physical illness reasons that you are dealing with, but like all of us had those moments and to say, you know what, I can sit here and lay in bed and I can listen to the birds sing and I can enjoy the birds singing. And that is a win. Yeah. And that is something to celebrate and to rejoice in. And I think to find all taught, of those moments. The pandemic taught all of us to kind of, I think it gave us all a deeper understanding of what's important. Like mm -hmm. I think it's made people, especially appreciate family it's made them appreciate each other it's made them understand we all don't have perfect mental health days for instance so we're more conscious of people who might be going through depression or battling illness or things like that it's i think it's made us all a bit more empathetic to each other in one way or another so well Guys, that is our podcast for this week. It has been a pleasure to have Danka on with us. And uh, I can't wait to have her back when she's going to release her next one. So you're all going to want to stick around for her review, which will be coming up in several weeks time. So keep an eye out for that. It will be a spotlight review. But yeah, thank you for coming on. And I really do hope that you come back very soon. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was really uh, great. Appreciate yeah, you having me. Yeah, and that's the great thing about being here. It's it's supposed to be fun media rather than media that we constantly have to answer the same questions over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah again, exactly. You know? um, I think being authors is a good way as well because we understand the media and, and the media process and it can be, can be pretty awful sometimes. So it's nice to have yeah. a friendly face. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So guys, check back next week as we've got another amazing bestseller coming on. I was looking to see if I could remember who it is, but I can't. But you're going to want to stick around. I know that it's a bestseller. That's as much as I can tell you. So see you guys all next week. Be safe, read a book, and don't kill each other. <laughs>